Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights, conversations exploring network transformation through interviews with industry experts. Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. I'm coming to you live from 5G World in London, England, and I'm delighted to have Mark No, Senior Director of Business Development from NetNumber with me. Welcome, Mark. How's it going? Hi, Allison. Thanks for having me. So, Mark, it's uh, been a while since Network Number's been on the show, and why don't you go ahead and introduce your role there and give us a little bit of history on NetNumber. Sure. So, uh, as, as you said, I'm the uh, Senior Director of Business Development for Private LTE uh, at NetNumber. NetNumber, uh, based in the Boston area, we, uh, we're a software company. We've uh, been around about 20 years, or almost 20 years, and uh, basically our, our software components are used in the signaling and routing control aspect of mobile operator networks. And what we strive to do is, is really simplify the signaling and routing control uh, components through consolidation, through scaling, uh, and just through uh, uh, simple technology for that matter. So we have about 20 different software modules that all sit underneath what we call our NetNumber Titan uh, platform. Um, so it's really a single application that gives you uh, options for signaling, running control, uh, software options, about 20 different modules that rides underneath that. So typically our customers are uh, uh, mobile operators, carriers, tier one, tier two, tier three, and then more recently, um, enterprise customers, and that's because of our private LTE solution. So that was where I was going to go next. I, LTE, uh, very well understood in terms of wireless capability for handheld devices, um, but you're introducing something called private LTE. Correct. Um, tell me about why private LTE and why a focus on the enterprise. Okay. So private LTE is really a scaled down version uh, using that, that's privately owned and operated by an enterprise uh, using all the same 3GPP standards components that the big guys use. Um, the reason that enterprises like mining, defense, energy are interested in private LTE technology or LTE technology is because they have other challenges that existing wireless technologies really don't um, uh, don't uh, doesn't work well with. Uh, for instance, interference uh, in these environments, uh, similar to manufacturing environments. Uh, technologies, wireless technologies like Wi-Fi really don't handle that as well as what LTE does. Also, a larger coverage area. With LTE, you can get a much larger coverage area uh, than you can with Wi-Fi, or at least with much less uh, equipment and um, operation and maintenance than that Wi-Fi has. So these are the kind of environments um, that are realizing that LTE technology itself, due to just evolution, right? Uh, virtualization, for instance, virtualization technology, containerization, um, these are technologies that have evolved with LTE such that now you can take these components, these 3GPP components, um, and very simply put it into a small x86 cost environment. You can leverage virtualization, containerization, and a much simpler 
uh, approach to operation and maintenance such that an enterprise can embrace private LTE. It's not just for a, a mobile carrier or a mobile operator anymore. So when you, when you look at these industrial environments, I would assume that you're not just thinking about connecting the workers in these spaces, but also the IoT devices that are proliferating these environments. Absolutely. So a good example of that is mining. Mining, really, if you look at autonomous vehicle uh, operations, long before Google or anybody else wanted to, to have autonomous vehicles, uh, the mines, which sometimes are spread, you know, hundreds of square miles, the big land movers, the, the ones that are 30 feet high, these things have been autonomous for a long time. Um, and their job is to keep busy in the mine, picking up, taking a load from one site to another to keep the mine flowing. Um, these, in the past, were using Wi-Fi. And Wi-Fi was very difficult and high cost because of the number of access points you had to have. Uh, you actually also had to move them around um, the mining um, to make it work correctly uh, across the minefield. Uh, so this is a, a very good example where when LTE evolved to the point such as mines said, you know what, it's got enough capacity, it's got the interference characteristics we need, we don't need as many access points, we need to look at this technology now to, to run our autonomous vehicle network. So that was really one of the first use cases um, for private LTE was in, was in mining. And now that's evolved to, okay, it works well for the autonomous vehicles, why don't we enable the employees that are using public mobile networks to be able to use this private network as well. So that's now in the next application of the mines, as well as uh, LMR technology, being able to take the security push to talk applications that land mobile radio, walkie-talkies, um, typically provide that solution for, but integrate that into private LTE smartphone handsets as well, and just, just further consolidate and uh, you know, reduce the OPEX costs. What is the difference from a deployment standpoint and the technolo underlying technology in deploying a private LTE network within an, an environment like this versus what the large carriers are doing? And what does it take to actually provide that hybrid link into the public LTE networks? Yeah, good question. Um, so there are some common characteristics. Uh, I had mentioned mining, defense, um, energy, uh, maritime is another uh, example. Um, there are some common characteristics across all of these when it comes to private LTE. And, and typically those characteristics are, usually you have an area where you have, compared to a carrier, a small number of subscribers, 20 to 50 subscribers in an area. Maybe it's on a ship, um, for an example. But what happens is, is that you have many of these areas. So we call these edges. So while you might not have, you know, the number of subscribers that you would normally see in a mobile operators network, right, which a lot of times is hundreds of thousands, millions, right, you have a very small amount, and but you have many of them. So many uh, mobile edge computing type environments. Um, also in these, uh, in these environments, there's, there's typically a need to be able to have a hardened compute footprint. You're talking a uh, um, 
you know, having to put these in mines, for an example, or on a ship, et cetera. And it needs to be a very small, because a small footprint, because it's a very uh, limited resource area that they have. So that's another typical uh, requirement in a, in a private LTE network. That and it's the enterprise. They're used to using virtualization and containerization technologies long before actually mobile operators did. And so this is a common requirement is the fact that, well, the private LTE network and maybe the collaboration is just one application, but they have a dozen more that they need to fit in that very small x86 compute footprint like, you know, I would say, not like a Raspberry Pi, but just to give you an idea. Um, so now you have a dozen applications. They have their safety applications, they have their logistics, what have you, whatever, in those particular use cases that all need to exist in the same environment. So the ability to virtualize to a very small amount of virtual resources or containerize to a number of, uh, a small amount of virtual resources is very important in these environments as well. So these are some of the common characteristics. The last thing I would say is automating the subscriber database. The, there's a big OPEX cost if you have to manage your subscribers on all of those edges and all those edge locations. So things like having an API, being able to interface that to a web portal or to OSSBSS such that when a subscriber's ad move change occurs, it's automatically done via an API and it's distributed into the network to the right edge locations automatically. So those are, those are also important aspects that, that we see enterprise customers want. Now, NetNumber obviously does business in a lot of different spaces. Tell me about your LTE business and where you're seeing traction today. I'm sure it's some of the industries you've been talking about. It is. Um, but uh, do you have any examples of some um, companies or industries where you've seen deployments be very successful? Yeah, um, well initially mining been, has been the most successful. Um, and uh, it was for, you know, again, like I said, the uh, autonomous vehicles and now moving into other applications that LTE, private LTE is enabling. Um, beyond that, maritime is also an area that we're seeing success um, and defense. And into the defense environment, it's, it's putting all of that compute resource with all of our software components as well as an eNodeB radio and EPC, which is running in that uh, same compute footprint, and a backpack. Oh, wow. That's serving an army company of maybe 20 to 30 soldiers. And again, it's a, the same uh, type of environment where we have many companies now, and they're mobile, and you're going to have soldiers that are going to move or you know, roam between these tactical bubbles, as we call them. So this is a big area because uh, Really, when you look at the, the military from uh, uh, the tactical bubble perspective, in the past, they've really only had the walkie-talkies in LMR. So they're trying to change that. They're using wearables. They're, they're using a lot of the technology that we take for granted in our smartphones and adding to that and enabling that with a private LTE tactical bubble network. So defense is another area where there's a, a lot of activity. Uh, maritime and energy. These are environments, you know, on a ship where it's really the exact same thing. You have many of them, and it's the, uh, it could be merchant vessels. It may be fishing vessels. Um, there could be uh, ferry services. Uh, 
up in the Northwest per se and uh, with all of the ferries and being able to provide broadband services on these uh, to employees as well as to uh, roaming subscribers. So in that case, you have um, you may have a private LTE network where you know you're you're providing uh, a SIM management with devices that employees need to do their job. But at the same time, you might have um, subscribers coming on board that are temporary and want to use a roaming solution. Sure. So now you have to have the capability of of having a little more complicated environment, such for peering arrangements With for. Back and roaming all that, agreements, yeah. and that's that gets a, a lot more extensive. But uh, it's an area that um, creating these hybrid environments is, is uh, important. There's a lot of different ways to attack that, um, and uh, so we're working on a lot of solutions in that environment as well. Now I know you guys are members of the Intel Network Builders Program. Tell me about the collaboration with Intel here. Yeah, so we um, we recommend using Intel processors with uh, all of our software that are deploying in, inside of the private LTE solution. And in fact, you'll see uh, uh, some of the uh, we use the Intel Nook product a lot of time uh, in our uh, our demonstrations because um, it has all the characteristics we need to be able to uh, you know support that that small compute resource environment usually heavily virtualized um, uh, in many ways because uh, these environments we find that enterprise customers may want to embrace something they're already familiar with like a VMware environment uh, or they may want to take on a KVM all, all Linux environment um, and then uh, containers as well. So obviously uh, uh, Intel's proven in all of those technologies and, and that is the reference technology that we recommend in an x86 platform. Fantastic. Mark, it's been a pleasure talking to you about this. It's a fascinating space. Um, you know, this is not an area that we cover on ShipCheck uh, a lot, but it's really interesting application at an industrial level and really important as we look at how the edge is growing in industrial um, applications and how we're going to connect all these edge devices. Exciting stuff. Final question for you. Um, where can folks find out more information about the solutions you've been talking about? and maybe take a look at a demo of a solution? Great question. Uh, well, of course, I could say go to netnumber.com. Uh, if you do go there, you can, uh, if you want to look in the solutions area, uh, you'll find uh, a recent white paper that we've written on private LTE uh, and some other collateral. And also here live at uh, 5G World, we have a, uh, a live private LTE demonstration if you get this in time, you can come over and uh, we'll show you all the components of a private LTE network and uh, let you actually do a, a video call between uh, endpoints across this private LTE network and show you some other capabilities. Fantastic. Well, folks, you heard it here first. Go check it out in NetNumber's booth at 5G World or on the line at netnumber.com. Thanks so much for being on the program today. Thank you very much for having us. Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you live from 5G World in London. And I'm delighted to be joined by Jose Antonio Aranda, Product Strategy and an Innovation Director with Cellnex Telecom. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me here. 
So Jose, this is the first time that Celnex has been on the program. Can you just introduce the company and your role there? Yes, uh, so basically Celnex is a European infrastructure provider. Uh, we uh, initially began the business uh, uh, with the infrastructure of the broadcasting uh, um, uh, sales uh, and sites in Spain uh, and we uh, little by little started buying uh, antennas from the mobile operators. Uh, we also have infrastructure uh, uh, delivering um, emergency services, uh, maritime services, and also we provide Aravan IoT on analysis spectrum. Uh, we have different networks like Sigfox in Spain and other countries. So um, I did a little research uh, before we started talking. You're operating in six com countries today across Europe. True, yeah. We, we started in Spain, then we expanded to Italy. And we have now operations also in uh, Switzerland, Netherlands, uh, we do have in uh, France and uh, in the UK. That's pretty nice. And yeah. um, from all forecasts, continuing to grow yes. along with the rate of uh, data around the, the world. Uh, we have already announced that our ambition is to keep on expanding and growing to uh, Eastern Europe uh, towards that area. So probably uh, we still have another uh, few countries uh, in Occidental Europe that we will probably uh, search for business in. So we're at 5G World, so I'm sure it will come as no surprise that I want to talk to you about your opinion on 5G. Um, it, there probably is no hotter topic in the networking arena right now as 5G, but when you look at 5G and you talk about the expansion of, of your business across Europe, why is this technology important and how do you see this being integrated into the services that you offer your customers over time? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we see uh, 5G as an evolution of our business, uh, clearly. Uh, uh, we all know that 5G will bring uh, additional uh, benefits like uh, bandwidth, latency, or uh, time response, amount of uh, new devices connected. And uh, we see that uh, uh, the investment from the mobile operators uh, may uh, duplicate by uh, 25 compared to what we have now. And uh, uh, we see that the mobile sector has a lot of pressure, not only in competition, but also in margins. And that's how we see uh, any, an opportunity for uh, an infrastructure vendor uh, to offer a neutral network, a neutral host for 5G, uh, uh, enabling new sites, uh, enabling fiber, and enabling small cells, uh, and compensating uh, the investment from uh, operators. Now when you look at that evolution and, and um, turning on 5G for specific functions. Um, what do you think are the key functions that will move over most quickly to 5G? What is the you know what are the use cases where you can see incredible value from what 5G can offer versus 4G, and they, those will move over more quickly? Yeah, we see that um, the operators will not invest massively in 5G. Uh, we really see that uh, the use case of densification is where uh, operators and uh, uh, infrastructure providers will start from. Uh, we see opportunities in uh, either uh, dense areas, there's, there's urban areas or uh, areas where you have uh, a lot of people like stadiums, like uh, airports, 
and uh, we expect that these will be uh, the uh, first uh, places where 5G will be implemented. You've talked a lot about neutral networks for 5G. Why is this so critical? Is it, is it just to give um, existing operators some flexibility in the way that they approach um, the evolution to 5G? Or what makes this so compelling? Yeah, we see that uh, there are uh, markets where uh, neutral uh, hosts are already uh, in place, uh, and uh, like the U.S. In the U.S., uh, uh, there is an average of 80% of uh, share of infrastructure, while in uh, uh, other parts of the world, like in Europe, we haven't reached 15 to 20%. So we, we see that there's a huge potential for a role of 5G a neutral host in Europe. And our forecast is if, uh, that the, the operators will have to invest in share infrastructure, either through a, a third party or between themselves. Uh, and by 25, they might reach 40% of uh, sharing in Europe. That's uh, our hope. What is inherent underlying the technology capability that makes those dense environments like airports or stadiums most compelling? Yes, we currently have in Celnex a, a product called a DAS, a distributed antenna system, and we see that 5G will be an evolution of that. We have these implemented already in the main stadiums in Italy, so in San Siro, in Roma, we have implemented this technology and we have started implementing it in Spain and the, the stadium of Atletico de Madrid that was just built recently. We provide the infrastructure uh, that provides coverage inside the, the, the uh, perimeters. Why we think this is relevant? because uh, it is a dense area that is also utilized from time to time for uh, the matches. And uh, for the owner of the venue, it's complex to have three, four different uh, operators installing things in their premises. So that's why they thought that having one single uh, uh, provider that will install massively and control all the infrastructure and uh, enabling that infrastructure to be shared with all the operators will simplify the, the management of uh, the infrastructure in the stadium. That makes perfect sense. Now, what is Cellnex doing today to prepare your networks for 5G and how are you working with the industry to do that? Yeah, well, uh, we, we are currently studying uh, the possibilities of 5G. As we all know, 5G will come in a couple of years' time. So we are now uh, preparing and looking at the future, seeing what could be the opportunities that 5, 5G may bring uh, for us. Uh, there could be opportunities to go from more the passive role, just providing the tower sites, the power to a more active role. We are studying the possibility of providing data centers, edge computing, these kind of cloud services that could also complement our current portfolio services into evolving our uh, products to the 5G uh, era. So you're really embedding that intelligence to run a, a myriad of workloads, compute workloads at the edge, as well as traditional um, networking services. Yeah, we are a stage of 
testing and conceptualizing, we think there could be an opportunity. We still need, need to uh, deploy massively, but uh, we have started buying a, a data center company in the Netherlands that we expect that will be just the first step towards a more ambitious plan on uh, mobile computing. Very exciting. And um, from a standpoint of what we can expect next from Celnex, um, what, should, what should the industry be looking at for, from you? and how should they be reaching out to engage with you? Yeah, so um, uh, we have uh, started in uh, big countries like Italy and Spain and what we are expecting is to keep on growing in size as well in other countries. So the expectations that we have towards 5G is that we become the 5G supplier in Europe, one of the main, if not the main supplier of infrastructure in Europe. Uh, not only these uh, native countries, but also expanding towards the rest of, uh, of the continent. Fantastic. Well, Jose, thank you so much for being on the program today. It was a real pleasure. Um, one final question for you. I'm sure that folks have been listening. They want to find out more about Celnex. Where can they go for more information? Yeah, they can visit us in our website, www.celnextelecom.com. Perfect. Thanks for being on the program today. Thank you. Cheers. Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Alison Klein. We're coming to you live from 5G World in London, and I'm delighted to have Santi Magasu, VP of Business Development from Plague Giga with us. Welcome, Santi. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure being here. So this is the first time that Plague Giga has been on the program, um, but you guys operate in a really exciting environment within cloud gaming. Why don't you just give us a brief background on the company and your role at the company? Okay. Uh, Play Giga was uh, founded uh, four years ago. Uh, we are based in Spain. We have all our team uh, there. Uh, we are a technology company. Uh, most of our people are engineers. So basically what we do is uh, we use cloud gaming technologies to make uh, uh, high quality video games accessible to a broader audience. Mm -hmm. So basically uh, to use our service you don't need to have a gaming console, you don't need to have a gaming PC, and you don't need to purchase the games. It's a subscription service. Uh, the games are, uh, um, are processed in, in the cloud, and you just need a te television set or a PC or Mac to, to enjoy the games. So this is, uh, and it's a subscription service. Now this is an interesting model in terms of gaming. I think that, uh, rich media comprises a tremendous amount of internet traffic on a daily basis, but you're really changing the game because you're not just sending um, base data to the devices that are actually doing a lot of graphical manipulation at the, at the end site. You're running the entire application in the cloud and delivering it through the network. How yes, are you doing that? And that's, that's <laughs> the challenge. Mm -hmm. that's, as I said, most of our people are engineers. So there are basically um, three challenges in terms of technology. The first one is the latency you're introducing. So you need to have a good internet connection and you need to process the games uh, in a very, very efficient way. So, so you do not introduce more latency. 
Right now, we introduce in the range of 25 to 30 milliseconds to whatever latency uh, comes from the network, uh, which is enough to give a, a very good experience to the end user. The second one is the bandwidth management. You need a high quality bandwidth. Normally we consume in the range of uh, between eight and 15 megabit per second to deliver the, the game. Uh, but we had to develop adaptive uh, bitrate algorithm to cope with, with the degradation in the quality of the bandwidth. Uh, and then the other thing is the integration at the end with the end user. Normally, we deliver the service through a telco, who has a, a set-top box for pay TV. So we need to integrate in any either Android or Linux device to deliver that. We also allow the the players to play directly from a PC or a Mac. And in the future, uh, in the near future, we will have also smart TV apps. So you can, uh, you can play directly into the smart TV without a set of box. And you've got today over 140 games that you're offering to your providers and um, operating across geographies as well, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. We started deploying uh, um, September last year, so less than one year ago. The first deployment was in Italy with Telecom Italia. Um, so we, we are uh, commercially present there. Uh, they sell this as a, a, an um, add-on to, to the pay TV service. So you pay extra money uh, to, to play the games. Uh, and that's part of their uh, fiber uh, strategy. So they, they, they wanted more reasons why for customers to migrate from ADSL to fiber. And that was... a. Uh, uh, part of the rationale. We also deployed in, uh, in Latin America, in, in Argentina and Chile, uh, through Turner, Turner part of uh, Warner Bros. Uh, that's a different play because they, they don't have a set of box. So what they do is they offer a over-the-top uh, gaming uh, to, to PCs and Macs. We also have delivered in Spain. We have our own consumer brand called Wait. We use it a bit as a lab because we don't want to go direct to consumer. Normally, we, we would go with partners. Uh, so talking about the catalog games, at the beginning, is, it was pretty difficult to get you know, the rights to, to, to use the games from the top publishers. We work with uh, you know, Disney, Warner, uh, Square Enix, uh, Capcom, a lot of, of the top uh, game publishers. But we think it's, we are really at, at the moment where the industry is changing. It reminds me a bit the music, music streaming. So the beginning, it was very difficult for Spotify and Deezer and all the players to get the rights for the music. Uh, and now, you know, music streaming is the main revenue source for, for the music labels. So we believe that eventually this will happen also for games. Let's go down into the technology a little bit. Yeah. When you look at these game titles and you look at the applications, how are you deciding what to run within a cloud data center and what to run at the network edge? And how does that come together in terms of a full solution? To be frank, right now, we, uh, we just use data center. We don't use edge. Oh, okay. Because the technology is performing well enough not to need that. So right now, the four deployments we have 
uh, we basically have data centers. For instance, we have one single data center in all of Italy. You know, Italy is a long country. With that. But it works fine. I mean, the data center is in Milan, and we have thousands of customers in Sicily or whatever, in the south, which is uh, 1,200 miles away, and it still works. Uh, so right now, we do not use uh, any edge deployment, neither we use CDN uh, technology. It's just plain internet, and it works fine. Now you look at new technologies coming uh, into the forefront like 5G in a couple of years with um, a lot more capability at the edge of the network. Do you see that changing what you can deliver and how you would approach um, scaling the capacity of the games that you're delivering to customers? Yes, we are starting to look into that, to be frank. Uh, and actually there is a European telco impossibly a US one who are asking us to do pilots on their 5G uh, test environments. So that might change the, the, the old story because there are, uh, there are a couple of use cases which will be enabled by 5G. The first one is 5G connected home. So there are places where you don't get with fiber. And this is a use case where you basically get to households where we, today we don't have uh, the possibility to get. Right. And that use case, for some reasons, is very important in North America and in Europe and the Baltic countries. Mm -hmm. So for some reasons, we get a lot of interest from those regions. The second use case is mobility for gamers. Gamers, uh, normally, they, they play their favorite games on a console or a gaming PC at home, when they're home. But then when they're in the move, they switch to uh, smartphone games, which are different games. Because basically you cannot deliver that on, on the go in mobility. With 5G, that will change. Sure. So people will be able to just play their favorite games, uh, AAA games, so to speak, also in mobility, over a, over a, a tablet or a smartphone. So that might change the uh, the delivery of the service. Now, PlayGiga is in a collaboration with Intel on uh, the, the underlying technology infrastructure that you're utilizing to deliver your services. Tell me about that. That was uh, a bit of a bold decision for us a couple of years ago. Basically, we couldn't make the economics. So, you know, the cost per subscriber uh, we couldn't we couldn't get to the point where, where that would, would be viable on that business. So this is when we started working with Intel a couple of years ago. It's been a very very uh, um, uh, very rewarding collaboration. So we've been uh, working uh, basically on R and D initially. So we were testing uh, new how our service would, would work with the Intel chipset. And we are very happy. Now we have commercial deployments on uh, Intel infrastructure. It that really helped us deliver a very good user experience with uh, a affordable uh, cost in terms of CAPES and OBEX. Uh, so we are very excited. And this is even getting better with each new generation of chipsets. Now, if we have... Uh a number of folks that listen to this podcast, and I'm sure many people are interested in the PlayGiga model. If folks want to contact you, learn more about the services that you offer, how can they reach out 
to play Jiga and learn more about your company? I'm about to give you my telephone number, but I refrain <laughs> from that. Basically, on our webpage, uh, which is uh, Play Giga, just play as play, and Giga is G I G A dot com, uh, you will find a, a way to contact us. And to be frank, we are getting a lot of requests from our uh, webpage, which uh, is a bit surprising, especially over the last couple of months. I mean, there's, uh, cloud gaming is becoming uh, more fashionable. Yes, of course. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much, Santi, for uh, introducing us to Play Giga and have a fantastic time at 5G World this week in London. Uh, we hope to continue our very fruitful collaboration. Thank you very much.